Hey there, and welcome to Homeschoolhood, the show and community where we talk about all things education and parenthood and the beautiful mess where they intersect homeschool. I'm Erica Ladd, former public school teacher and parent turned homeschool mom to my two elementary age daughters. I never thought we'd homeschool, but we accidentally fell in love with it this past year and haven't looked back. Whether you homeschool or not, my hope is that you find encouragement, practical ideas, and some real talk about raising and educating tiny humans here on Homeschoolhood. Welcome! This episode is all about five of the most important things I learned my first year homeschooling. Some of these things are specific to homeschool or teaching, but some are just more generally applicable to life or parenthood in general. So before we get started, I do want to make sure you know that I share all kinds of video content, book flip-throughs, resources, behind the scenes of our homeschool on my Instagram, and I would love to connect with you there between episodes. I am at Lad Erica over there. All right, so number one top thing that I learned in my first year homeschooling is to put my relationship with my kids over rigor. Now, rigor is a bit of a buzzword in education. Um, It's often assumed that the more rigorous an education is, the more valid it is, or the more, you know, the better competitive advantage we're giving our kids. And I would just like to push back on that a little bit. Um, I touched on this a bit in the last episode, but homeschool automatically makes everything feel very high stakes, right? Like all of a sudden your parent-child relationship takes on another layer of also being the primary means of education and learning. So kids are no longer just worried about maybe not getting the concept and potentially disappointing a teacher. They are wired to need your approval so badly as their parent that sometimes I have found that they won't even try for fear of failure and then, you know, the assumed loss of that approval. They need that relationship with you even more than they needed it with their teacher. So that's one reason. It's also really high stakes for you as the parent because all of a sudden you feel like it all literally reflects on you now. You are responsible for them learning all of the things or so it seems, it doesn't necessarily need to be like that. Um, And I just found my first year homeschooling, I was way too critical. Everything felt important. Um, Everything felt urgent. It was like, everything felt like I was setting this precedent if I let them get away with it. You know, everything felt very under the microscope all the time. And I was really the only one putting that pressure on me and my kids. So I took a step back and remembered that my relationship with them is the most important. And really, in education in general, the relationship with the educator, the relationship to the material, how secure a child feels about themselves, even their relationship with themselves, is more important than any book or curriculum you put in front of them. And so kind of my motto became, especially as we were trying to feel this whole thing out, right, and figure out how this was going to work for our family. When the tears start, you stop, no matter what. Um, If tears of frustration or even just attitude or whatever it is are starting, you stop. Now, that doesn't mean you were doing something wrong, 
but it means that no learning is anymore taking place. And there is no such thing as an educational emergency. You might've heard both of those phrases before. There really isn't. There's, if tears are flowing, if there's frustration, if there is a breakdown in communication on either one of your parts, just stop, just come back to it, switch gears, move on, take a 10 minute outside or snack break. There are no emergencies. So number one lesson I learned in homeschooling last year was relationship over rigor. The second thing I learned that was actually a bit of a surprise to me is that I actually like science. <laughs> I I feel like growing up in school, I used to not enjoy science very much. I did not like dissecting frogs. I did not care about geology. I didn't, the way it was taught with a big, thick textbook um, just did not appeal to me. I did have some good, I think, science teachers in high school, especially, um, and even in middle school, but really I don't have any amazing memories of science in elementary school for sure. Um, and I used to hate teaching science when I was a public school elementary teacher. It always felt like so much setup to do something kind of authentic and hands-on. It was a logistical nightmare nightmare with 30 plus kids to get any kind of real hands-on learning done. It was always something that felt rushed and like we didn't really have time to dig in. Um, and it wasn't, let's be real, it wasn't the things, the main three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic that we were tested on all the time. And so it didn't, it often got pushed to the back burner. Um, I also just didn't feel as free to dive into the stuff that kids were truly interested in. For example, um, there is a very popular kindergarten science unit that is all about paper, all of the different types of paper. There are fun parts of it, but it is about as boring as you can get with five and six-year-olds who are much more interested in animals and plants and living things. And I just did not understand why we were starting with paper. Um, but now it is one of my absolute favorite things to teach my girls in our homeschool. We did unit studies on the ocean and human body and space and botany and plants. And it has been so much fun and they are learning a ton. I am learning a ton. Um, and it just has gone to show me like you can get all of the science standards of learning about inquiry and hypotheses and um, how to, the scientific method. You can do all of those things around basically any topic that your kids are interested in. And we've had so much fun kind of piecing together our own science and using nature as a huge starting point. Um, it's been a big surprise because I was nervous about teaching science. It was not my favorite, but I determined I like science this past year. Okay. Another thing that I guess I just had confirmed for me is I really discovered how much overscheduled kids, they have a diminished capacity for creativity and curiosity. Now, this is not to say that all kids who aren't homeschooled have no creativity or curiosity, not at all. But in my experience with my kids, when things slowed down a bit and they were given more free time to be kids, um, when we couldn't do some of the activities we were normally doing or just the daily grind 
was no longer so demanding when we were homeschooling and then also home because of COVID, there was like wonder again and questions, not just worried about the right answer and creative play came back. And I'm thinking this was something that happened for a lot of families. And it was just confirmed to me, even now as things, you know, had started to open back up where, you know, that may be changing soon here. Um, But as things had started to get back to normal um, a little bit, I just still am holding on to being very conscious of how much I schedule for my kids. I want them to be in extracurriculars and have, you know, opportunities outside of home, obviously, but also leaving plenty of downtime. You can do that and still leave them plenty of downtime for free play, for creativity, for being bored, which leads to those things like creativity and curiosity. So that was just definitely confirmed for me that last year. Another thing that the homeschool year last year really clarified for me was something that became super important and really a cornerstone of our homeschool. And I'm going to talk more about this a lot on this podcast, but it clarified for me my vision of what I want my kids to take away from learning history in particular. And let me just read these for you. These are not from me, but these are from Nikki at Raising a Legacy on Instagram, who is a fellow homeschooling mom. I just love all of her stuff. Um, And she articulated it for me in a way I could not, but it was putting to words everything I believed about teaching kids history. She said, three things I want my kids to learn from history are to question it, to pay attention to whose voices are centered, and to think about the impact history has on the present day. The whole goal of teaching history is so kids are able to see the world from multiple perspectives, realize that current events are directly related to past and future events, and use this information to make impactful changes in their communities. Again, I could and I plan to do a whole episode on this topic, um, but for now, that means to me at least at these ages that my kids are at, at eight and nine years old, it is very important to me to make sure that my kids are hearing from multiple perspectives that they're exposed to um, different cultures telling their story in their own voices, that we are paying attention to who was being damaged by this piece of history, who benefited from this piece of history, how have things changed since then, where do we still need to go to change from here? Um Those are the kinds of conversations I'm having. And that to me is much more important than memorizing a bunch of dates. So in case it was not abundantly clear, we are not a uh, 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue kind of family. We are examining historical events from all angles, even when some of those angles do not paint people in the best light. Um, even when some of those stories are hard to tell and hard to process, we are processing them the best we can, um, in an honest way appropriate for their age levels. And that is super, super important to me. And it's just solidified. This past year has really solidified for me just how important that actually is. And I thank Nikki so much for 
putting that into words because that is exactly my philosophy. The other thing that has just been driven home for me and has become a permanent part of how I view the world and how I operate in it is I started out this this past calendar year, 2021, with a mantra I had heard from a fellow mom on Instagram, also uh, the Beauty Bureau. And she said a motto she was telling herself when dealing with her kids was, my energy is my own. And I loved that so much, and I'm going to get into why, but I love that so much that I now have a symbol for that tattooed on my wrist as a constant reminder of this, because I think, especially in homeschooling, um, which is just really parenting on steroids, right? (laughs) It's a natural extension of all of the things we already teach our kids um, and going into the academic side of things. But in parenting in general, really, I think this is extra important. My energy is my own. To me, that means I am responsible for energy in and energy out. So that means to break it down even further, fueling myself physically, how I'm feeding myself, how I'm exercising, how I'm taking care of myself. Um, Am I getting enough rest? Literally the energy that I'm putting into my body. And then guarding that energy with appropriate boundaries. That means with my kids too. My kids have never been and are definitely not now allowed to just suck the life out of me every single day. We have a daily hour quiet time, which is how, you know, that was evolved from nap time and they don't have to sleep anymore, obviously, but it is an hour where everybody is in their rooms and they are reading, they're doing something quietly and independently. Um, and I am doing whatever I need to do during that time. So it is a built-in break after lunch in our day. They, right now, as I record this episode, they are having dad dinner night, which means as soon as dad is done with work for the day, I peace out. (laughs) I'm up in my bedroom right now recording this episode and they have dad dinner. Those of you who follow me on Instagram know I have talked about this a ton, but he is in charge of dinner for the night and all of the other evening things. And we pretend I'm not here or sometimes I'm really not here. But the beginning of each week, we kind of decide what night is going to work good for that. He knows he's on duty. It's something we can count on and it is incredible. And I don't feel one speck guilty and neither should you if you need that. Um, I guard my energy with boundaries around social media and the news of the world. I got into the really bad habit like probably so many of us did of starting out my day on social media. And while I find a lot of inspiration there and have some great relationships there, I also hear a lot of about the bad news of the world on social media and everybody's reaction to it in, you know, times 1000. And so I just don't think we're meant to process all of that before we're even awake and before we've even caffeinated. <laughs> and so I've gotten back into the habit of I start my morning with gratitude. I write down five things in my journal I'm grateful for. They're intentionally super small things. And that just really helps helps me get some perspective. It also helps shift my mindset into looking for those small things throughout the day. Um, and then some reading instead of starting out on social media. Um, I'm also, I have a lot of boundaries with my schedule. I try really hard not to overschedule too many things for us, for me, during the week or even on the weekend to have a day where there's 
Really, I need one weekday and one weekend day where there is nothing on the calendar, at least, to feel okay in in like the weekly rhythm, especially as an introvert. I know that I need that alone time to recharge. My energy is my own also means to me that I need to be real about the fact that nobody, including my kids, <laughs> um, make me feel any kind of way. Or nobody makes me respond in a certain way. I am responsible for my reactions to things. I'm responsible for my tone of voice and my body language. I am responsible when I lose my cool to then go apologize. Um, And just in general, paying attention to the energy that I bring into the room and what I'm bringing to the table in terms of energy, in terms of contributions, in terms of mood that I'm setting and tone that I'm setting in my home. So those are the five things that I have learned about myself, about homeschooling, about life, parenthood, this first year of homeschool. Um, Relationship over rigor, always. When the tears start, you stop. There are no educational emergencies. I learned that I like science. Science is so much more than a textbook. I was reminded that overscheduled kids don't have the same capacity for creativity and curiosity. It's okay to have downtime and boredom. My vision for what I want my kids to take away from learning history was clarified. I want them to question it, pay attention to whose voices are centered, and think about the impact that history has on the present day. And I have fully embrace the mantra, my energy is my own as a mom, as a homeschooler, as a wife, as a human on this planet. So that's it for that episode. I do want to transition into a regular spot. I'm hoping to maybe even do this every episode, but as regularly as we need to fit it in. Um, this is It's time for a discipline dilemma. So every so often, I thought I would answer a question about behavior, discipline with your kids that is giving you a headache, a discipline dilemma. I will give you my advice as a teacher, as a mom. I think I'm pretty good at discipline and um, like classroom management back in the day even. So I would love to help you with your discipline dilemma. Okay, feel free to send me your own discipline dilemma. You can email me at hellohomeschoolhood at gmail.com. You can send me a DM over on Instagram and ask me about your discipline dilemma and I will address as many as I can here on the show. So I'm gonna start off by sharing my own discipline dilemma and a a trick that I'm pretty proud of and how we solved it. So We had this very specific dilemma of my girls fighting in a very specific jockeying for position kind of way um, in front of company when we had guests here at the house or while traveling and kind of out of their element. Usually then we might also be around company like extended family or something. And so they would just get very um, throwing each each other under the bus like if that makes sense, raise your hand if you're listening and you have siblings that you are raising that do the same. So I 
heard this from a YouTuber, something similar, and we modified it to make it work for us. So this is called sister points. So this only happens when we are having company or guests in our house and we've tried it out and it's worked amazing so far. Or if we're traveling, um, they can only be earned together as a team. There's no taking away or adding points to the total as an individual. So what they're working towards is if we're traveling, for example, maybe money to spend on souvenirs the last day. Or recently we were traveling and it was just to visit friends at their house so there wouldn't be any real souvenir shopping. So we did it to, if they earn 10 sister points throughout the weekend, they could earn a dinner date out where they got to pick the restaurant with all four of us. Um, I love this because parents are the doler outers of points. So, I mean, I can, I give them points for like, you know, they're sharing a room in an air mattress, something they don't usually do. And if they are going to bed without any problems, waking up, not fighting, they get a sister point for that. If they are being extra, you know, catching them being good kind of thing, catching them doing something kind for each other, they get a sister point. Um, It encourages cooperation instead of competition. So they're not only, you know, they're not just earning their own individual points because that would exacerbate the problem of them trying to jockey for position with the guests or in front of new people. So it encourages that cooperation when that already, you know, we don't want to encourage competition when it already seems to be at an all-time high while traveling or around new people. Um, and honestly, special circumstances call for special systems sometimes. It was, they were showing us with their behavior that they needed some more support. They needed a way to draw attention to their behavior in a positive way and to learn that you know, good behavior on a trip or when there are special things going on, make the trip more fun for everybody, themselves included. Um, And this just made a huge difference. We've done it two different times since we implemented this. And I, I think it's genius. It has done the trick. They're very excited. You know, and you can make the reward anything and you can make the amount of points they need to get anything. But this just made a huge difference. And especially because we only pull it out sometimes, I'm not generally a big fan of, um, you know, token economy kinds of rewards for kids because it can be very de-incentivizing sometimes. But this works brilliantly. So I highly recommend Sister Points, Brother Bucks, Sibling Points, whatever you want to call it, for those trips or for people coming to your house. And really, you know, if I think about it, I remember feeling like this as a kid, like your mom's best friend comes from out of town for a visit and, you know, their attention is all on each other because they miss each other. The adults are catching up. Maybe you are um, feeling a little left out. Maybe you're feeling like you really want to impress this friend of your mom's who's like a cool aunt. And so you just kind of try to make your sister look dumb. You feel like you look cooler. You know, I remember that feeling. And I remember just being a little out of sorts because our home energy had changed or we were traveling away from home, away from everything familiar. And it kind of puts everybody out of sorts. So this was just a kind of nice way to rein that all in. And I highly recommend implementing something like that. 
So that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back next week. Let's continue the chat over on Instagram. I am at Lad Erica over there where you can find, again, all kinds of videos on curriculum, books and resources, quick tips, lots of stuff about homeschool and learning in general, even if you're not a homeschooler. So you can also find the show notes for this episode in your podcast player. And I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at hellohomeschoolhood at gmail.com. Until next time, remember you are your child's first and most important teacher and you've got this.